Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. It's so hot. It's so hot everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like things are on fire, and things literally I, are on fire, right? <laughs> Have you seen those videos from California where it looks like the actual like hell on earth, where people are driving away from bushfire, literally next to their cars? Have you seen those videos? I haven't seen some of those videos, no. But I'll have to go look them up. I can just imagine what it's like just looking outside. I mean, we're se- we're several states away, and the smoke from it is just <laughs> yes. filling the air here. So I can only imagine just how bad it is. I am going to send you one video after this recording and you will see that it feels like a video game when I'm watching that video that there's one in particular that I'm like, why is that person there? Are you okay? Did you survive? Like it was just very concerning. Like I hope that person survived, uh, survived that, that drive. It was just very, very, very scary anyways. But yeah, we're seeing the everything flying this way from yeah. the coast. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Are you are you going outside to breathe in some of that fresh, you know, dust and <laughs> ashes? No, I was outside earlier and just noticed how I mean how hazy it was and how terrible it was, which is in contrast to how it's been because just given the number of cars that have been off the road lately, like I feel like things have been significantly clearer than normal. Um yes. so it's been it's just been a lot nicer, you know, going outside and just seeing how the air has been a little bit clearer than I think it normally has been for the last little while and that sort of thing. But that is not true. now. It's it's kind of gone back to that like smoggy <laughs> haze that you get in in Utah we get like this inversion where usually in the winter, you know, you kind of get this low pre- I think it's a low pressure system that just kind of like comes and pushes all of the air in and so all of the smog and haze just kind of like settles into the valley and you can't get rid of it. And so that's what it feels like right now. It's just this haze and <laughs> dust and smog that has settled in and it's just not very nice. So very on theme for the 2020, very bleak <laughs> state of the world that we're living in. Um, it's also mother nature reclaiming the power to control what's going on. It's like, yeah, cars are gone. Now it's all clear. And then mother nature is like, hold on. Let me give you a little something, something. Um, right. I think it's 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 great that that we don't have as, as many cars though. Like, uh, I, have you seen the photos from all over the world? Um, how nature has taken over again? Where I can't remember what country. It was just like no tourists, and then all of a sudden, they're like uh, some wild animals. What was it? Bunnies? No, it was something more exotic. Just I, I really remember 20% of that photo, but <laughs> it's like some sort of wild animal just flooding the, 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 the areas. Cause it's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? It's ours. You took it. Now we're going to take it back, but it's happening all over the world. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. And I've seen the memes that have come from it too. Um, I mean, one was like the canals in Venice, I think where like dolphins yes. were returning and just swimming <laughs> in the canals of Venice. Cause they were 
clean and clear again and that sort of thing. Up in Yellowstone was the same thing earlier this year. Not so much now, but just wildlife was just everywhere. (laughs) The Um, bears are just like, now I can nap on the road. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's crazy. When tourists, when there weren't a lot of tourists there, um, my mom was up there earlier a few months ago and just said, I mean, there was nobody up there. And I mean, there were bears just literally like walking in the road. She has some pictures of bears and bear cubs just like walking across the road, which you don't see anymore. Nature is great, but that sounds scary. Um, yeah. I'm scared of bears. They're really cute when you see them in a contained environment where I, but they're contained, not me. It's, no, actually, I don't support the practice of like trapping an animal in a zoo, but um, that. Yeah, just in my own experience, that is the only one time that I'm like, yeah, there's a bear and I feel safe, you know. Again, I don't support that practice, but it's the only one time that I'm not fear like just fearful of of wild animals. I don't know. What do you do? I'm telling you, like you just die, right? Like there's <laughs> a saying or something, right? If you see, there's like a nursery rhymes or something that talk about the color of bears. If it's white then you're just dead. <laughs> and if it's yeah. brown, I think you're also kind of dead. If it's black, you are okay. I can how that thing, how that song goes. Is it a poem? Is it a song? I cannot remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't know the poem you're talking about or the song, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's pretty much, it probably goes in the reverse order where it's like, if it's, if it's a black bear, then, you know, you, you either kind of try and scare it away or, you know, yeah. play dead. If it's a grizzly bear, then you have to either, you know, play dead or try and fight it off. If it's yes. a polar bear, then you're just like, you, 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 um, tell your mom you love her. And yeah. That's the end. That's the end. <laughs> you, you don't stand a chance. <laughs> Please tweet at me. Whoever remembers or knows what I'm talking about. I, I swear <laughs> it's a thing. It's not something I just made up. So yeah, there's a song or a poem, something about that. Yeah. We'll have to look that up. That yes. I like it. it it's real. But yeah, I'm recording in a different room today. And so it is just as hot as the closet, but the the light in the closet is out. So I cannot record there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this room. And I was like thinking it's going to echo. The the audio is going to be crappy. But then before we started, you said that it's the same. I'm like, why didn't I come here? <laughs> like from the beginning, I definitely regret not being in this room because it's a lot less. What is that? word claustrophobic inducing it's a yeah. lot bigger anyways i'm glad to be here and out yeah out of the tiny closet um yes. I, I don't know maybe we'll have to be a judge of that or i guess <laughs> maybe let, yeah let somebody else judge the quality yeah. of the yeah. audio and see if if there's a difference we'll have to do like a blind test yes. and compare them side by side and see which audio is better better now it's not blind though if i've told everyone already that it is different it's true um compare side by side audio <laughs> clips from both and see which is better yeah see that's that's some ux uh principle uh when you test yeah cannot tell it's you know what it's more more like medical testing they give you placebo versus the real drugs but you cannot tell the patient which one they're getting yeah it's clinical trial principle actually yeah <laughs> applies in in ux text testing also <laughs> the end <laughs> that's today's episode thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Is this is this when we get into it now? There we go. There's our segue. So <laughs> speaking of UX <laughs> testing, uh, uh, we're gonna worth transition. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and medical placebos. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about the and we referenced this in what was was it our last episode that we talked about the ten UX heuristics. I feel like we talk about it once in a while. Yeah, it comes in pretty often. So we've I think we've referenced it a couple times, and we wanted to do a deeper dive into these ten UX heuristics and what they are, why they're important, and just do uh, you know talk a little bit more about them and how they apply because they're I think they're really applicable and interesting and so some of the experience that we've had with them so I have actually done my homework this time and put together a slide deck and I'm sure we can share that put the link out there in the show notes and so I mean I do know that we're recording a podcast which is a (laughs) non-visual medium but I'm going to describe everything that we are seeing Let's see. I've never used a screen sharing um, in Google, so is this is this working? Are yeah. you seeing my screen? Yeah. Perfect. And we're of course gonna post the link to this um, the ultimate article on this done by Jacob Nielsen back in 1994, and it's, it still applies today. Um, the way it applies is different, but um, still very very applicable and uh, definitely deep dive into the article after this episode because it has um a lot of additional information and they also have videos and everything in there but today we're going to talk about all 10 of them so um also just a side note i also used uh this website called slide slide go is it slides go or slide go anyways we'll put that link on there too it's one of the websites that has a ton of like free um google slides templates that you can use and i chose the most like nighttime party looking one um because i i just i'm like if i don't use it now how else am i gonna use this template because i can't use it for work i'm not gonna use it for anything else so here we are it does look like a nighttime party so it's a neon party yeah Yeah, everybody's gonna have to go and check it out let's see when i'm Doing full screen, I can't really see your face. So here we go. Please describe all your facial expression as we go through this. So, okay, let's start with an overview of all 10 of them uh, that we have, you know, told you guys about very quickly in one of them or many of the uh, other instances that we brought them up. So those 10 usability heuristics that we have talked about before is uh, first one, visibility of system status. Uh, number two, match between system and the real world. Three, uh, user control and freedom. Number four is consistency and standards. And number five, error prevention. And number six, recognition rather than recall. Number seven, flexibility and efficiency of use. Number eight, aesthetics and minimalist design. Number nine, help users recognize, diagnose, and recover from errors. And number 10, the last one, help and documentation. And for each of these, I'm going to talk about the kind of the summary of what it's about. And some of them are pretty self-explanatory, but I want to bring up (laughs) um, lately. It's been my favorite example to go to uh, Netflix. I think Netflix has done a really good job and 
um, just in multiple areas of, of designing their interface and your user experience. So I'm going to use Netflix plus a couple other products that I have used. And some of them are praises. <laughs> some of them are not. So are you ready on this journey? So ready. So ready. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I was expecting like a mid-air fist pump and just <laughs> crying out of tears. Hold on. I'm going to... It feels so weird not seeing your face. I'm going to see if I can shrink it in a way that I can still see. So it feels more like a conversation. Okay, perfect. Now, okay, let's start with the first one. Visibility uh, of system status. And this one, um, so I feel like this one is one of the more self-explanatory one. Basically, you need to tell your user what the system is doing so that they understand uh, what they're expected to do next. And then you in turn, uh, and then when the user understands what they're expected to do, they don't waste time on wondering what, you know, what the system or what your software product is doing so that they can respond and not waste their time. Um, and I think one of the best example is um, a loading screen. Whoops. So again, I'm going to keep showing you different Netflix <laughs> screenshot <laughs> throughout this is um, anytime you click on a title and you start playing, right? And there's, depending on your internet speed, they show you the title you, you have chosen, right? On the top top left. And in the middle, you usually see that spinny circle. I mean, this one is a very easy observation because you see it probably outside of Netflix too, that loading. And you know that system is saying, hey, just a minute, we have received, you know, your input of you, you wanting to see this title. We're buffering we're showing you what's going on. Right. And I mean, this is very high level stuff. Am I right? So, okay. Another example in the Netflix, uh, interface that is a good example of this is that every time, uh, when you go to add something to your list, something you want to watch later, whatever that is, after you click on that little, uh, plus sign, what happens is that it will turn into a circle with the check mark instead of staying as, you know, the plus. Right. So, in that case, you know, as a user, okay, that is successfully added to your list. And also at the same time, it will show you now the option is to remove it from your list because it's been added. So that's, uh, those are some example of how Netflix handle, you know, telling you uh, as a user, how, uh, what the system is doing and you're not sitting there guessing what's going on. And in the article that, uh, Jacob Nielsen did, um, they also have a very, interesting, uh, case study, uh, with, with a product on, it's a mobile product. So they give the user, um, that page and have them interact with it. And it, in the article, it shows a video of the user interacting with it, but then there's no, uh, spin a circle or anything happening. Uh, there's just no changes, uh, that you can see You can see in the interface and, the, the user is like, I clicked on something. Why, why does nothing happen? And you can see from the eye tracking that they're looking up and down, trying to find uh, ev evidence of the system doing something. And I, I, I think that that's, that's very interesting. You're just like, Hey, something's happening, but we're not going to tell you that's basically what's happening uh, in that eye tracking video. Um, so that's, that's something not to do is not tell your users what's going on. Yeah. And, don't you love that when you don't know what's going on, Kyle? <laughs> I, I think it's so important. It reminds me of, so I used to have a motorcycle a long time ago. And what? 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the downsides of it though, was it didn't have a fuel gauge on it. And so you never, you never knew exactly how much fuel was in the tank. Uh, unless you opened up the tank and just looked inside to see how much fuel was in it. So you can imagine that uh, that led to some like unfortunate uh, mistakes in gauging how much fuel was left in the tank. Yeah. And there, I mean, there was one time, fortunately, I wasn't very far away from home, but I ran out of fuel, obviously. Like it, it's just one of those things that like if you're not aware of yeah. how much fuel is left in your tank, you make the mistake of getting on your motorcycle and riding without realizing that you don't have enough fuel. And so you end up like pushing your motorcycle back to your house, looking like an idiot because you ran out of fuel, like partway down the road. And so like having, I, I, I think of that as like a real world, real world example of, you know, making it very clear the visibility of the status of your system is you, is you have to users have to understand what is going on within different systems, like what their actions, wow. how their actions are impacting the different things that are happening. Yeah. And if, if you don't have that clarity and transparency and visibility, then you make decisions uh, inappropriately or you get frustrated or you run out of gas. Like, half a mile down the road and end up looking like an idiot. So don't, you know, don't design systems like that. (laughs) Did that thing at least give you like a light that will come on when it's near empty? No. Or is that too much to ask for? Oh no. No, it was an older motorcycle. So I mean, how old are we talking? Oh man. I don't, I don't remember what year it was, but it was, it was definitely older. I got it, um, purchased it for like a dollar or something like that. I mean, it it was, yeah, it it was not an expensive bike, but it was awesome. Got great fuel mileage though. You didn't see the fuel (laughs) gauge. I I mean, you just had to, it was one of those things you just had to like, (laughs) well, you just, you know, you knew how much you were riding and then you knew how much gas you were putting in it. And, but it's like, you have to put like a stick in the tank and be like, Oh, okay. I have half of tank left. <laughs> and then you calculate the mile per, per, per gallon. Nah, you, you, I mean, you just, you, you, I mean, you had an odometer so you could see like how much you were actually going. And then, I mean, you, you'd fill it up for like, you know, $10 or something like that and then see, but you, you would have to just basically like unscrew the cap and like, make sure you still had gas in it and then screw it back on. So that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that now we all have cars that tell you when you, you need to put gas in. <laughs> yeah, and tell right? you, yeah, our, our truck is much better. But our truck will tell you like the exact number of miles that you have left, which oh. is very, very nice. So actually, I love this format of me showing you like, okay, digital product, this is how we do it. And then you should give me like a real life example <laughs> of other type of product, like a physical <laughs> consumer product, what's going on, what could go wrong. I love this format. So please continue <laughs> to, to jump in. No pressure. Let <laughs> me see if I can keep coming up with it. <laughs> I love this is turning into a reality game show type uh, interaction. Um, so keep it up. Kyle Evans. Uh, Yes. So yeah, I I think the example you gave definitely uh, (laughs) best of what not to do, Um, not tell your user what's going on and what to do is, I think this one is pretty straightforward. Um, You can do it by giving your user a notification um, uh, because that really is the, (laughs) 
the more immediate, it depends on the scenario. Uh, if you, if you want to warn the user, something is going to happen that is going to change their, uh, expectation or going to change their, uh, action notification is one way to do it. And then the example I just gave of Netflix changing the icon, that is a very subtle way, but very, uh, uh, not in your face way to tell you what's going on. And uh, those are, uh, I think, good example of how you can handle, hey, this is what's happening, right? And it depends on also on the urgency. Uh, then you can decide how in your face you want to get. And because I'm sure you have seen, oh, actually in later, I have an example of like a super in your face status of what's going on. And usually when you hit a dead end of we cannot resolve whatever issue that you have, you know, created. I shouldn't make it sound like the user is making a mistake, but <laughs> whatever issue the system is not able to resolve, then, you know, there's, you need to be super duper obvious that like we cannot go forward. Right. Uh, in later example, I will show you that. Okay. I'm going to go a little faster probably on each of them, but the second one is the match between system and the real world. So this one, the summary of it is that you need to, um, match, the language in your product product to to mimic what's going on in the real world so that user already have an understanding of how they're supposed to interact with, uh, let's say, a button or this icon, this thing. And one really interesting example that Jacob Nielsen has brought up is, um, I cannot pronounce this word. It's for a while. Uh, when iPhone became a big thing, you know, that design style that uh, basically you design all your icons to the real life equivalent of what that is, like the the like a compass, um, in the art article, it uses a compass icon, uh, as, as the example, when you see that on your iPhone, you know, exactly what that does, right? Because you as a human being already have a understanding of what a compass would do. So when it's an app that also gives you that exact same functionality, they use, how do you pronounce that word? I really have to ask. Skewmorphic, I think. Skewmorphic. I don't know how I have. Now I'm, now I'm questioning my pronunciation of it, but. Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, please don't mispronounce anything on on this podcast uh, <laughs> in front of me because then I will forever pronounce it that way. <laughs> ESL, yes. Anyways, so it helps um, to basically fast track a user how they understand uh, what the functionality is. And again, using that compass example, you see a compass, you know exactly what it does. So why not just use um, that to help your user to to act faster and give them what they need, right? Also, one thing I have to say is that um, in our work, I feel like uh, it's easy to have an internal discussion of how we as a company just, you know, we talk about certain terms that are very, either very salesy or very specific to the industry that you work in, right? But for a normal consumer, a lot of the time, they don't care about any of those jargons or terms. They just say, I want to buy blank, right? They don't, use words like, um, what's a good example, like serviceability. I think that's a word that is very much a company would say that. Right. And marketing department would say that. Right. But then for a consumer, like, have you ever had a conversation talking about like, you know, asking someone, do you have Google fiber at your home? You don't say, Hey, Kyle, do you have serviceability (laughs) at your home with Google fiber? Right. So that's a silly example, but that's very real of how you can craft the language around, um, the user instead of around what the company is expecting to put out. So, and I think we've talked about this many times when we talk about design, it's not just what you're seeing in the visual language, uh, but it's also very 
direct what you're writing, what the messages are uh, telling the user to. So be mindful of that. And we just want to make sure the interaction is as natural as possible. I think that, yeah. yeah. So one good example here, um, this is not Netflix. I'll bring up Netflix in a second, but in medium.com and uh, a lot of other, uh, uh, I guess, newer publishing platform, you start to see the example, like you being able to highlight um, articles or highlight a quote that you like. And this highlighting action is very much like, a physical thing that you can do in the real world, right? This brings me back to college <laughs> and high school, just like studying. Uh, but this is a feature that is completely based off a real world interaction. And you know exactly like what is going to happen, right? When you say highlighting an, uh, a quote on the article and and the nice thing actually is that also you can unhighlight something in a digital space, which is great that you cannot do in the real world. Can we, can we make that happen in the real world? Unhighlight something? I don't think we can. No. How would you do that? Used to do it. Well, yeah, I don't think you can unhighlight. You could kind of like white out something, but I mean, that's, you're getting really old school. Yeah. I remember in history class, there was one, I don't know why, sorry, going off topic, but this is going to be real fun real quick. There was one history class in high school. The teacher literally told us what to highlight in the textbook. And by the end of the, you know, class, my entire page was highlighted and I was like, what is the point of this? Why am I highlighting the entire page? So what is actually important out of that page? If there's nothing that is more important than the rest of the page. Anyways, just one little bit of memory that I really treasure from living in Hong Kong. Anyways. So yeah, highlighting is uh, one very good example that is literally things that you can do in the real world and also clapping on medium.com <laughs> as same thing. You can clap in real life and you know exactly this is um, uh, equivalent of liking, you know, on Facebook and and also uh, following. Like these are terms that in the digital space without the real world um, concept, these terms don't mean anything, right? In the digital space, it's because of the real world interaction that we have, the understanding we have, the expectations we have. Um, this now all makes sense in the digital space. And um, back to Netflix. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Definitely. Uh, also, another example. You, you're basically saying yes, I like it. No, I don't like it. And I feel like I don't have to explain more. But I do have one <laughs> complaint that is coming, which is um, in the healthcare digital product space. Uh, don't worry, I edited everything in this screenshot by doing inspect, so there's nothing personal <laughs> on here. But uh, the one term that I always have like weird feelings about is telehealth. And I mean, nowadays this is very common, right? Telehealth is one way to call it. What other ways do we have? Uh, I cannot remember what's the other term that ClearLink has used. There's the MD life way to call it. It's not telehealth. I can't remember, but anyways, um, have you heard of other terms, how they call distance doctor visit virtual, uh, oh, virtual visit is mm -hmm. one way. To, to describe that. But anyways, it does not like telehealth as a term means nothing to me. And I think this is something that they could have very much like mimic something in real life and uh, piggyback on that to help people to understand what they're expecting. Cause right now, like when you tell people, Hey, <laughs> have you ever done telehealth? Like no one knows what you're talking about. Right. Cause it's 
something that had happened in real life. Now you just do it on the, in the, you know, in the comfort of your home, but no one is yeah, calling it telehealth. So that's just one complaint yeah. I have, especially like for, I don't know, older generations. My mom would never know what that means. My mom doesn't speak English. That's another <laughs> problem, but you know what I mean? Yep. Okay. Do you have any real life? <laughs> you put in here? Uh, no, not for that one. Okay. Moving on to the next one then. Um, number three, user control and freedom. Users often control, uh, choose system functions by mistake. And also if they need to undo whatever they just have, they have mis- uh, uh, accidentally done. I feel like this one is a very common thing that happened. And this is the part of design that we always, always put more effort into uh, than the happy path because I would say it's easy to design for, oh, if the user (laughs) does everything that we expect them to do, like that is easy to design for. But we need to think of all 80 other scenarios of when they click something they're not supposed to or when they input something that is not a line item in a database or whatever it is. Those are scenarios I will always have to... I don't know, have five meetings <laughs> about versus the happy path. It's always like one meeting. We're good. <laughs> um, that's at least my experience. But and so, yeah, this one, the most um, straightforward I can explain this is that you always have an option to undo in, in you know, uh, when you're in Google slide, when you're in Google, Sheet, you know, any of the word editing, uh, document editing experience that you have, uh, maybe have done at work or for personal use, uh, undo, redo all these options. And then the one example I have for Netflix is that you can see actually when you inter- interact with their interface, the cross button is basically everywhere. So this is the same thing. This, even when you choose that title that you don't mean to choose and it's still buffering, let's say if you have very slow internet, you don't want to sit through that whole thing and then say, Oh, now I can exit. Um, we want the user to be able to get out of it before it takes, you know, 10 seconds to finish loading the whole thing. Or this one other example, another cross uh, exit option. And on mobile, the same thing. Um, There's so many ways uh, that you can exit out of something if you don't mean to, let's say, look at the show details or menu options for Joshua teenagers versus superpower. I don't know how this title pop up on my Netflix, but always provide your user a way to get out of the uh, option that they have chosen. And in the article that Jacob Nosen has written, there are two things that I think is very interesting um, that he had brought up, which when we talk about making mistakes, there are two types of mistakes. Is First one is a slip, which sometimes you misclick on something. It's not something you're, you, you really mean to do um, or typing an uh, I instead of an O when you're searching for something. And I mean, on your keyboard, there is a reason why there's a backspace because <laughs> you always, you know, just, it, just in case I type something wrong, that needs to be there. Right. And another type of, uh, mistake that you can make is something like, uh, what is a good example? You are expecting the button to take you to, let's say a product details page, but then it in, in fact takes you to checkout. That's not something you want. And, and, uh, that is a different kind of scenario that you will need to provide your user a way to go back. And I would say, try your best to not 
push the user to use the back button in your browser because either your engineer is going to be mad at you because <laughs> hitting back on the browser, they will have to, I mean, they have to take care of that scenario. But uh, most of the time, relying back on the interface is probably the safest bet on not breaking your system too. Yeah. In a real life yeah. scenario. Um, I don't, not necessarily taking it to real life, but I think, you know, handling, uh, appropriately handling how to get in and out of those situations is just so important. I was just in the audible app. Um, and this is, this has been like a small pet peeve of mine for a little while now. They do periodic sale. I love audiobooks for one. Like I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks mm -hmm. and read a lot. Well, read a lot of, uh, Kindle books and have a lot of physical books. I go across all three, just depending on like what type of book. But anyway, with Audible, yeah. they do a lot of like digital sales, like two for one or like six ninety five or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And when they run those sales, they will usually have like a, a notification that pops up and go into it and start kind of browsing through the selection and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll accidentally hit the back button and go out of it. There's no easy way to go back <laughs> into that sale selection that I have ever found from the app from the app itself. It is an absolute nightmare. And I will go, I have looked through everything possible to try and like get back into those sales selections and I cannot find it. And it drives me absolutely oh. crazy every single time. So I think it falls into the same category of helping users if they make a mistake get back get out of yes. that mistake that they've made in this case it's getting back into something that they didn't want to get out of necessarily and so i got out of the you know an area that i wanted to be in by accident and then there's no easy way to get back into it so how can you handle those types like of that. situations clearly is not something that they have thought through because there's no option for yes. you know here is our sales selection you know get back into it get into everything else but you can't get into that so handling those types of situations when users either need to get out of something yes. or get back into something i really like that and i'm so glad you brought up audible too because then as you're talking about audible so many scenarios in my head not made up ones but real <laughs> uh headache moments that I had before with Audible. I finally gave up on Audible because first of all, their web player is also awful. I don't know why. <laughs> They're still like, here's a pop-up web player that you can have. I'm like, what is going on here? It feels like we're back to, I don't know, early 2000, where when you go on Bandcamp or whatever, when you pop that little window and play whatever. Anyway, it just feels like they are putting a lot of resources into driving people to sign up, but there's not much of TLC when you get into it. And I think at the very beginning when I started using it, which was like, what, two years ago, the way that they explain to you, maybe it's still the case. I don't know anymore, but because um, you know how you can uh, uh, have one credit or however many mm -hmm. credits through the subscription. And you can also choose, you know, to buy the book itself. Right. So there are two different ways to purchase, but every time, um, I'm on the verge of like, on the, what is, I was going to say unsign up myself, but I mean, cancel the subscription. I'm always like, I don't understand what it's telling me. Am I going to be able to keep those, um, credits or not? 
or am I going to be able to keep those books I purchased? Like the interface, I remember I would just like, I had to like Google it to find out because the interface was not giving me any evidence. Like, yeah, you're going to be fine. Your books will still be kept under your account. Like what's going to happen if I cancel like any of these? It was very confusing. Anyways, I'm glad that we talked about Audible. Now, um, Amazon's not going to use us for... (laughs) I still love you, Audible. I'm I'm a huge, huge user of Audible. That's my one complaint is the the cell selection and things like that. But otherwise... I might have to think of some yes. other ones, but anyway, I'm, I'm still a big fan. <laughs> yes. Throw that Actually, out there. Love, Audible. Yeah. If you want, if you want to throw, <laughs> throw some credits my way, I'm still a big fan. One of us, one of us <laughs> is a fan, but, oh, another thing I just thought of too, is that also you can only go forward for 10 seconds, go backward 10 seconds. I can't remember. Just that navigation is awful. I'm always like, where am I? <laughs> Anyways, okay. <laughs> done with audible but back to the having the emergency exit one real life example that i actually just thought of too uh it's more of an example of not what not to do is have you ever missed a turn on the road when you're driving and there's just no getting out of it or you have to go like a mile before you can get back on where you want to go yep so that's one example that i can think of in real life is that a lot of the freeways are much better nowadays when you accidentally get off the wrong exit there's immediately you know a turnaround that you can do for some of the exits that you can get back on the freeway right but uh i feel like that's less the case when you go to one of those roads are about like 30 40 miles per hour those ones once you miss it i feel like you're just gonna have to keep keep going i can think of one good example is on the what is that state street um Mm -hmm. around salt lake area i feel like once you go past it, it's like another half a mile before you can turn. And it's also very hard to turn around anyways. Yeah. Yep. We're very passionate about this user control and freedom. topic. <laughs> I'm going to speed up for the rest of them. So number four, we're talking about consistency and standards. This one, I feel like um, a little more self-explanatory. I feel like uh, anyone in design, you should know this by now is that do not create a bunch of one-offs that don't fit into the greater design system. And they create a scenario where the user is all of a sudden like, wait, does this do do the same thing as the other button or is it a different thing? And that cognitive load increase, you know, the time they're wasting on understanding what you are presenting to them and just stick with your design system. And if you have to make changes, look at your design system. Is it a system-wide change that you should be making? If you notice that there's always these one-off little thing that you're doing, right? And uh, I feel like this one is pretty self-explanatory. And uh, same thing I've said before, applies to the writing too. If you call one thing A, don't change it to B on a sudden if they do the exact same thing. Yeah. And... Yeah, I feel like this is maybe a little more design 101 or human 101. <laughs> yeah, and I think they called this out in one of the articles. And I, I was reading about a company that was thinking about doing this as well, where, you know, to kind of more align with their kind of ethos or uh, brand strategy, you know, changing the cart to something else. So I've I've heard, I think they used like sled in one of the examples. I've heard other ones. I think buggy was another one. If you're from the South, oh. like they call carts buggies. And so, you know, that being what? more aligned with like the actual, yeah, crazy, right? Um, or at least 
really interesting that it's it's a buggy. So using some of those like more nuanced terms that may fit more with your company, but don't align with like the mental model that most people have of mm. both like the offline thing that we're used to and the consistency and standard of just what everybody's using. Like it's fun to have some of those like nuances and things that kind of set you apart, but then they kind of break oh, that mental model of what yes. everybody has of, you know, we're putting something into the cart, which is where we then go to check out. If you change that to like, it's your buggy or it's your sled, even if, you know, you're a, <laughs> you're an online ski retailer and yes. having a sled just, it makes sense given the industry you're in, it won't make sense for most people that that's, you know, where you're going, even shopping yeah. bag is, I mean, it's okay, but you're still kind of like, you're forcing just people to think about a, a little bit more. I, I, that's probably one that's uh, used enough that it's okay, but you, you're still kind of forcing people to kind of think outside of the mental models that they've yes. established, especially when it's, you know, Amazon cart, that's like the big thing. And so how far outside of that mental model do you want to stray? And those are the right. types of things that you have to keep in mind. I love that. And I feel like this one almost like have to be, uh, when you're looking at, looking at keep, keeping everything consistent and kind of you, what you just talked about and being considerate of what happens in real life and you have to match your surrounding or your users, um, environment too. I feel like that's also one way that you can look at this particular principle and, and combining this one with the, you know, matching with the real, real world situation, I think really gives you a more authentic flavor to what the user's world is like and match with that, um, to speak the, their language. And I really like the example of like, when you talk about, uh, what term did you just say? Shopping bag? Yeah. Right. Is that what you just yep. said? Shopping bag. Right. The bag, and then we, the buggy. Some, <laughs> <laughs> I buggy just sounds like such a cute little thing, but immediately I think of literally a bug, not what is it supposed to be a sled? Uh, I think sled was one of the examples they used. A buggy is what a lot of people in, I think in some of the Southern States call the shopping cart. So it's the buggy. I also heard that. Is it the Amish community that also have buggies? Yeah. I, I, I think, um, also a term for like a horse-drawn uh, vehicle. So like a carriage, buggy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, you can call it a carriage too, I guess. Anyways. So yeah, keep it consistent. And um, speaking of matching your language to the real world while keeping it consistent too, um, in the article that Jacob Nielsen wrote, he brought up, uh, this one's kind of adjacent to this idea, but I think it's very interesting. He brought up uh, at one time he was doing consulting or part of the design process of an e-com uh, project. And then they were testing out navigation and the buttons and all the you know options there. And he brought up this problem is that there are two sets of uh, menu items and you know basically two different navigation and they test the two. And the first option is structure according to how the user's uh, mental model, model works. And the second option is structure according to how the company thinks <laughs> the user <laughs> should interact with it. Um, uh, basically, it's like this this uh, internal thinking from the company. But yeah, we want users to, to navigate this way. And of course, as you can guess, after they run the test, which one works better? Of course, when you <laughs> design it according to what the user is looking for, because... Because who's using your navigation? The users. So 
And the success rate of that navigation is 80%, um, which is much higher than the 9% that they see when you structure your navigation um, to what the company's internal thinking uh, uh, ends up being. So keep that in mind. And oh yeah, read that article. That part is very interesting to me. So anywho, we have an example. I don't have a Netflix example here because there's not a whole lot of really language, but in the design side of things, their design standard is, I feel like it's very on point. Rarely would you find something in Netflix that you're like, wait, this looks different than the other thing. Um, just shout out. I do love Netflix a lot. I didn't notice that before today. <laughs> I did bring up the idea of having an episode uh, talking about all the TV viewing experience, like the Netflix app versus the Hulu one. I think we should toss a couple more in there and just make it into like a boxing ring of TV Ooh, there we go. viewing experience yeah. on your phone. i very passionate about that. I don't even watch that much of it, but anyways, stay tuned. That That's coming. And this example, I'm going to skip this one. I feel like we talked a lot about consistency and standards. Last thing I want to add, make sure you have a design system. <laughs> <laughs> the end on, yeah. on that. And moving on to the next topic, uh, number five, error pre prevent prevention. So I feel like we started talking about this a little bit when I talked about uh, the different types of um era that can happen, uh, a slip versus an actual mistake. This one, again, very self-explanatory, just helping the user to not go into one of those less than happy paths. How can we help them to uh, go to the part of the interface that they're looking for or find the content they're looking for and eliminate any uh, needs to handle the era would, would be great is to you know prevent them from happening. One example is Oh, this one is kind of funny. So when you're looking for a show on Netflix, um, one way that they, 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 they handle that is that if I am looking for the show dark, but then I put in dork instead, they show a bunch of suggestions that might fit into what you're looking for. Offering suge suggestions, I feel like is one of the, I wouldn't say easy, but one of the first thing that you should do when it comes to helping user to avoid like, oh yeah, what if I do, you know, fat finger the way I type and I still get dark as my top recommendation and the rest of the results, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because the mistake I've made is, you know, typing in dork and then a, a bunch of teenage shows just <laughs> come up, which is a very actually impressive thing to see because I feel like dork is a very teenage word to use. Do people say dork when you're like adult? I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. When was the last time you used the word dork? I couldn't even tell you outside of this podcast episode now. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to think that I have not used that word for multiple years. There's just not a scenario that I would be like, dork? Like dork is just so, such a specific word. I don't know. Anyways, you see a bunch of these teenage movie suggestions with my keyword being dork sitting right after the show dark, which I think is pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Following the logic that I assume they have uh, implemented in this, in this suggestions. Anyways, that's, so that's one way to handle that uh, is to offer suggestions to your user and saying, do you mean this? Do you mean that? And I'm sure just by me saying, do you mean this? You, you have seen that in uh, some of the digital products that you have used, you have used before the system will ask you 
which is also one way to handle that. And the user can literally tell you, yes, that is what I mean, or no, that is not what I mean. And then you handle, okay, if that's not what you mean, what else do you, uh, what, what do you, what, what can I do for you? Actually, I think I just reenacted a conversation that I had with, uh, my Google home <laughs> device <laughs> and, I'm sure uh, you have this experience where you're in a car yelling at Siri and be like, play whatever song. And then it plays something else. And you're like, what is going on? (laughs) Anyways. And the next one is recognition rather than recall. This one I think is very interesting. It's it's very similar to showing system status, but this one is more like an option or a choice that user has made before that can help them to continue their interaction with your product. And instead of having them to remember, oh, what did I do? You, um, as a designer, everybody's a designer on their product team. Okay. You tell the user what they have done before to help them in that process. And one way that you can do that is by showing your user in Netflix. Okay. Where, uh, how far they have gone with, uh, if you're watching unwell, like I do, I love that show right now. Anyways, showing them how far they've gone, uh, underneath the title by showing a progress bar. And one other example I can think of is that on Amazon, it shows you your recently viewed uh, product. So then if you didn't end up buying that, you know, fancy toothbrush that you have browsed um, or you've ran into on Amazon, two days later, you can still find, you know, what, what you have looked up before. And also search history is one thing. I think that one's less useful in terms of, uh, me needing to find what I searched two days ago, but, oh, but I do feel like, no, I take it back because sometimes I'm like, I read the article. It was very interesting. Two days later, cannot remember where, where it's from. And that's when I start frantically searching in my search history in Chrome. And I feel like most of the time I still don't find it, which <laughs> I mean, what's your experience? Like when you search for an article that you need to find again, or how do you do that? Oh, that's a good question. If I if I haven't bookmarked it, which I try and either bookmark or save links or uh, that sort of thing, then yeah, I will go back to my search history, like you were saying, and see like where I've gone. Because if you look at your search results too, like Chrome mm-hmm. will like I think Chrome and and maybe just Google in general will show you like where you have been in the past. So that's definitely very, very useful. Uh, otherwise, I don't. I guess I don't have another good solution. I just cry a little bit over a lost, <laughs> a, a lost piece of knowledge that I knew I had found at some point, but can't find again. Yeah, I feel like that's also what I do. I just one drop of tears at like one in the morning, be like, "Where was that article?" Yeah, yeah. I guess that's where. I didn't think that it was as big of a problem as until just now I said it is that, yeah, I really need help finding the articles that I, <laughs> I, I saw before how Chrome, can you help me? I'm it's 50, 50 yep. Google. If you need new ideas, call, call us up. <laughs> that would be so helpful though. If they tell you like, I feel like articles is really, or, or news, news articles or medium articles. Those are things that I often need to go back and look for nothing other than that those two categories i feel like what else would you need to go back to before i really don't think not for me anyways yeah that's pretty much it that'd be cool if they have a filter in that search history 
and yep. say, these are the articles you have recently viewed. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah. call us up. Yep. Okay. Next one. Number seven, flexibility and efficiency of use. Oh, this one is very interesting. So this one <laughs> basically is uh, any way a user have used your system enough, how can you provide more value to them by uh, helping to helping them to have a, a, what are those called? Shortcut to, to, to access certain part of your program. And the most uh, obvious example is literally keyboard shortcut. So when you're in Chrome doing, you know, command one and two, going from tab to tab, um, those are features that are not for your beginner user, someone who just, you know, learn how to use your product, but uh, giving them the, 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 a faster way to do what, you know, they want to do, um, highly recommended. And I feel like that also applies a lot in the Adobe program where I can remember most of the available shortcut and do a lot of things fairly quickly. That's actually one feature that I really want to bring to the products that we work that, that uh, we work on. But then I feel like those are usually pretty large uh, development lift to build, but keep keeping that in my back pocket. Anyways, yeah, shortcuts are great and doesn't have to be keyboard, but uh, any ways that you can accelerate a user's uh, ex uh, experience by giving them that shortcut, do it. And the greatest invention, um, I don't think this one required like expert level of using uh, of experience in your product is the skip intro button <laughs> in Netflix. <laughs> Maybe this one's not fully like on the topic of like targeting experienced user, but freaking that button has been the greatest invention uh, in user interface in user experience <laughs> of the decade. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you agree? It's it certainly has been nice. Um, this this whole topic I think is a really good one because it's um, it's I think it's a really important one to how, you know how can you cater to both the new users and still make it very, very fast and easy for your much more experienced users. And so, I mean, I think of things like Excel. I mean, that's one where you get, I mean, you mentioned the Adobe programs, which are a really good example because they're very, very powerful, but yet how do you make them accessible still for new users? Um, yes. Excel, I mean, I, in, you know, back when I was working in, in finance a lot, I lived in Excel all the time. And so, like learning the shortcuts. I mean, I was like five, I, th I think it was like four shortcut keys in where I was doing like mm -hmm. multiple ones just because it was so much faster. Yeah. Like yes. you learned those and I had them all memorized. So I was just doing like shortcut after shortcut after shortcut. So I could do all of these like different. Um, I mean, I was pulling mm -hmm. stuff in from like Bloomberg and then doing like pivot tables on it and all sorts of stuff. So it was like, it was good to have all of that sort of yes. capability and then i think of like real world example too like i've got my dsl dslr camera back here in the background you know that's another like if we're talking real world example mm -hmm. of the type of thing and it doesn't have to be just a dslr camera but most um nicer cameras yeah. you know mirrorless cameras as well and even just a lot of point and shoot cameras have similar capabilities now where you can choose the point and shoot type modes mm -hmm. on them where you don't have to know much about photography in order yes. to get good photos. You can kind of just choose it and it will do like automatic shooting. It will just kind of choose the shutter speed 
and the aperture and the ISO and all of that for you and do and, you know, take the shot or Mm -hmm. you can get a little bit more hands on with it and you can maybe do where you're controlling the aperture or you're controlling the shutter speed or your full manual and you're controlling all of it. And so being able to have some of those options where it's still accessible for newer users, but you have your power users who, you know, maybe want full control of that sort of stuff. And so having, you know, both that entry all the way into like more powerful controls for people who have that understanding and want to be able to do that. Yeah. I love the way you uh, summarize that is really providing that spectrum from someone who just, you know, uh, purchased your product or, you know, someone that is just started using it two hours ago to a power user. How do you cater for that range? Right. And yeah, I, I really liked your example of like the cameras too, because yeah, you can just use one of those presets and say landscape, whatever, or you can fine tune everything, which, yeah, I don't do. <laughs> yeah, I was in a museum once and we were taking photos and, and a lady was having trouble with her camera and, and she noticed that like we had uh, our DSLR mm-hmm. in there and she's like, I have no idea how to take pictures. Can you help me? <laughs> and so I was sat down with her for a few minutes and I was like, okay, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know how to use this. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to show you the different things. This is your you know, the different settings on it, like this is your shutter speed and your aperture control and, de- and different stuff. But these are all more of your advanced settings. If we just click the wheel over to here, this will kind of control everything for you. So the lighting and all of that, and you can just kind of point and shoot. And when you want to get more advanced, you can start to click around over into here and take more control of it. And so that was kind of like our quick, you know, quick and dirty You don't, you know, don't play around over in this area. You just want to be able to point and shoot. So just start here and get going and take and take photos. That's beautiful. Sharing your knowledge. (laughs) But that could have been the birth of a famous photographer. And now she's making like a full time salary job out of photography. Yeah. And, And she'll share her story one day that somebody in a museum stopped and helped her. And that will be. One day it will all come together again. Oh, wow. What a beautiful story that we just scripted. <laughs> I really like that. There was something that just flashed through my mind too. Oh, um, to contrast your beautiful story, I have a complaint <laughs> um, to this shortcut. Shortcuts are supposed to be a beautiful, like beautiful thing that can, you know, increase your productivity tremendously, right? Like, like you describe your wizardry in Excel and... So I brought up Adobe program and then it, <laughs> I, I just remember this painful memory of um, there's a specific functionality that you can do in Illustrator and I think it was in design that I was jumping back and forth one time. So here's the com- complaint is you can fit your container box to the size of your text so that you don't have the extra, you know, white space in, in your text box. Right. So there's a shortcut for that. I still remember till this day. Like, I don't know why that is the one thing I remember, but it's shift option, command C and it will fit. Right. I cannot remember one of the two that is it's the same functionality, but the shortcut is different. And I don't remember what the variant shortcut is, but I'm like, it, it, it does the exact same thing. Why is it, you know, they're both Adobe program. So why do you have different shortcuts <laughs> for the exact same functionality? And that was one of the most irritating moment that I have in my 
just my relationship with any digital product, I remember vividly. Yeah. That was probably like oh, what what like five six years ago too. And I was like, <laughs> why is this different? Why is the shortcut different? They're both Adobe program. What is going on? Anyways, that was very frustrating. But yeah, this yeah. principle co- combo with the consist consistency. Yeah, please keep it consistent while giving me shortcuts. I'm just saying, like it's it was it still pains me till today. The more I think about it, the more it hurts. Anyways, okay. We're near the end here. So number eight, aesthetic and minimalist minimalist design. So this one, I again, it's not just talking about the visual design of like, oh, drop shadow, how much of that? You know, how much do we want to elevate a cart? Not just about that, but also the language and the writing on your interface, every bit of what the user see contributes to how much work they have to do to understand what's going going on in your interface. So not just, uh, not just saying like, Oh, keep your aesthetics very simple, but also make sure writing your, uh, UI messages, everything needs to be kept to as concise as possible. And I, really want to give a uh, Netflix again, the love of my life. A shout out is that Netflix really just give you very minimal amount of just exactly what you need. And this um, screenshot that I have just to show you kind of get, you know, a snippet of, uh, uh, of the description of the show. And they're rarely more than three, four sentences. Um, it's very, very short. And I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, how could somebody summarize the entire show of like, let's say Terrace house in a short summary. And I think they have done a really good job just giving you the, what you need and you can move on if you don't want it. And also very minimal amount of what, uh, the system, let's say the play button and then the more info. And that's basically it. That's all you're seeing, right? There's no extra information. I feel like the, the, the time that we don't miss anymore was back in probably the, early 2000s or these I feel like whatever computer program you open there's always a crap load of extra information because I think we were most mostly on PC PCs are very bad at that they tell you a bunch of stuff that nobody understands what's going on <laughs> anyways so shout out to Netflix again there are only so many pieces of information they give you and you you can almost always find what you need I really do like Netflix um, if you want to sponsor us we'll- <laughs> Tag us, um, tweet at us. Number nine, help users to recognize, diagnose, and recover from errors. I feel like this one is a close relative to uh, what we talked about earlier of um, error prevention. And this one is specifically about uh, error messages. This is kind of funny because I just finished a project at work doing a bunch of error messages and working on this with another designer. And then that was when I realized like, oh, there's so many ways to look at how to handle an error and how we convey messages to the users. But as you can guess, just go as plain as you can when you're talking to a user. They do not care about your company internal language of what you call something. They're expecting to read your message, do whatever they need to do to get out of there and move on. Do not try, do not try to over-explain. I feel like that is also applicable to real life human interaction in a social setting. Do not over explain <laughs> and get in, give what you need to give them and get out. And 
Yeah. Oh. I mean, yep. I mean, sometimes, and we, we ran into this on, in one of the products a little while ago, you know, users need to know like what to do and, and how to get out. So, you know, going back to, like you said, error prevention and also user control and freedom. So, you know, what is it that the user needs to do to get to what they were doing? So code 404 or 401, like that isn't helpful to a user. What they need is, yeah. you know, the page is missing or you know what you are looking for isn't here here is the link to get back to the home page or here's you know where or, or you know here's a number to call you know we use that for um you know for one of our uh, products you know here's the the customer service center so that you can call and get help with your specific need if you know if that was applicable so that they weren't just left in kind of a, a lurch as far as like what what should i do at this point you know there was you know here's how to get back or here's where you can get help here's you know here's who to chat with or who to call that sort of thing with additional information you know that was often another helpful part for the development teams was you know we did need like the code and like what was going on so additional information like in the error mm -hmm. so as people had it if they did call in or if you know some of our right. agents were getting that information like we could get that yes. and diagnose it better but yes. you have to you have to remember it's not about the internal team primarily you know that's kind of a secondary thing Wait, so that you can <laughs> so you can fix it but it's right. you know the primary purpose is helping the user you know get back to what they need yes. to do secondary purpose is then to you know be able to as a team or company diagnose and fix it so keep that in mind and keep that order in mind yes and make sure you provide an actionable uh item in the message because you need to tell the user what they're supposed to do next right and i'm glad you brought up the problem of giving user a code because here I have an exact example <laughs> of the situation of something happened 501 can I offer DTV on this order and then a bunch of code right how is the user going to act on this like nobody knows what to do and we don't care about the code um, on the user side um, and and give them something that they can act on give them something that uh, give them something to help you to help the user to love your product. And I think out of all the principles that we have talked about, like this is the one that can make or break your product experience because when they run into an issue, a system issue, whatever issue that is in your product, that is the lowest point on the user journey. And if you cannot help them to get out of there, I mean, I'm sure you have that experience of like, I don't know what's going on. Goodbye. <laughs> right. So please, please, please take care of them. One example of keeping your language very, very short and straight to the point is YouTube. <laughs> this video is not available in your country. Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I'm sure they updated this uh, already because even when looking at the icon, I know this is older, but I really love this message because it just, it is what it is. Even though they didn't include any suggested video as like the next, you know, uh, actionable item that for a user as, you know, rec recommended videos, go look at these instead or whatever it is to help you to solve that problem. This message is just so straight to the point. It's just not available in your country. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, it has like a, a human tone to it too. I don't know why, like just saying it in my head, I, I'm like, yeah, thank you for letting <laughs> me know what's going on. And I'm going to bring up Netflix again, but this this one is not a good one. So 
Um, as many of, of, of you guys know, all the Studio Ghibli uh, titles are not on Netflix. It's a big problem. It's a very big problem for a lot of people. I'm one of them. So when you search Spirited Away, and if you if, if you just don't know, you're just looking for that, right? It doesn't tell you <laughs> at all that they don't offer that. It just says, explore titles related to Spirited Away and all these things that it's not what you're looking for. Like, no, just just tell me. Just tell me that it's not available first. Like, thank you for letting me know there are other things to, you know, continue to help me to continue on my journey of watching uh, whatever shows I can be watching that I might end up loving. But please tell me that it's not available. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because looking at this, I'm not familiar with Spirited Away. And I would not get that from the screen that you're showing that it's not available. Like I, I would be like, oh, are all of these part of that? Or are none of them? Right. Like I have absolutely no idea just looking at it what is and what isn't exactly like are these knockoffs are these exactly what i'm looking for yeah. or by the way i didn't know that they have a show for nino kuni which is a video game that was <laughs> really cool anyways um spirited away is one of my favorite movies at all time so it's kind of the equivalent of like disney but for asian people i feel like that's the level i would put them on but without princess, except for princess Mononoke, that's a princess, but very different kind of princess than, you know, in dresses. Than Disney princess. Sure. Yeah. But tweet at me about Studio Ghibli. Love everything they do. Anyways, last one, help and documentation. Number 10. Yeah. Help and documentation. So this one, I feel like it's very straightforward, but this one is often forgotten. And especially nowadays, with Google, people don't think that, oh, okay, I'm going to look within the product for, for documentation. Boom. I'm going to Google this first. Boom. I'm going to see what everyone says um, on Google, right? On Quora or whatever. But uh, if you've done your SEO correctly, your docu your internal, not internal, sorry, your documentation from your internal team that you put out on the website should come up first. So for example, Netflix has a full help center uh, to, to figure out your problem of like, Oh, what if the video quality is not showing to what you're expecting? I have a 4k TV, but why is it not showing a 4k quality? You know, just like issues like that, that are more specific to whatever scenario the user can end up in. Sometimes I, I, I do think that Google is the most beautiful thing, but I, me as a user, I will always go to the whatever.com, you know, if it's a Netflix problem, I will try my best to find the answer from netflix before i go on you know reddit or uh, reddit is actually pretty good but anyways or other sources so help your users to figure out uh these issues especially things that it's not so much a notification can resolve for example billing issues you cannot just pump that out in a, in a notification to say uh i'm trying to think of a specific example there was one very particular moment I had with Hulu that would fit into this exact issue. Oh, I remember what it was now. So story time, very quick. <laughs> Once upon a time, I signed up for Hulu and it came with the Spotify, uh, Spotify premium subscription. It was like two in one deal. Great. And then last year, at one point, me and my husband were trying to figure out our subscription, how to join forces on a lot of them and cancel whatever we have, you know, double on whatever. 
and he was trying to add a uh, live TV onto my Hulu account. Uh, the account page doesn't show me to just add it on. Like, you know, I'll give you the $30, $40, whatever it is on top of my Hulu account. And because I have that two in one package, it was just like, you cannot manage this here. Go manage it wherever you bought this from. Basically, that's what it was telling me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> where is that? <laughs> and I, I ended up doing a lot of Googling. Right. And then, um, that was also when I learned my lesson. I would just like go into Hulu.com, find their own answers because you will find out that they're just straight up telling you, oh, sorry, you you cannot. Uh, now, I can't remember what I ended up doing. Oh, oh yeah. I had to unsubscribe uh, my Hulu and Spotify uh, two-in-one subscription. And I'm thinking like, okay, after I unsubscribe, I can just choose the one that has Hulu and Spotify plus live TV. Great. <laughs> Little did I know that was a seasonal promotion that didn't uh, exist anymore. <laughs> so the second <laughs> I canceled it, it just didn't exist. And then on the Hulu help center, it told me that. And I was very heartbroken. But that was also the most, anyways, most helpful thing that they could have done. It's just like, you did it. <laughs> and that's where I was. Yeah. Anywho, um, that was a very long answer to why you should just tell, yeah, have a help center. Because those are very specific topics that you can handle very uh, quickly by putting out an article and having that capability and the infrastructure to do so is very, very important. Okay. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it reduces the cost of your customer service and uh, and reduces the chance of having very frustrate, frustrated customer calling your <laughs> customer service and possibly then lead to them canceling. So it is, uh, I think, must do but probably not a lot of teams will have the resources to do it right at the you know initial launch, but do as much as you can. The end. What were you going to say? Yeah. And doing it as close to just in time as possible makes it even that much better. So wherever people are encountering those problems or issues, making it available at that point so that if it's where, you know, where somebody is trying to subscribe you know, having the help available right there rather than having to find it somewhere else makes it so much easier. Uh, and, and, you know, if it's trouble with billing, you know, rather than having to go to like a, an article about billing, you know, that's great, but also having help just available right yes. where somebody is in the billing, either in the billing cycle or, um, you know, questioning like what's going on with the billing being able to address those issues right at the point of need uh, makes it that much better. And, and it's pretty much the same with everything. So as users are going through different parts of their journey, rather than trying to train them on everything or, or give them all of the resources, giving them just in time information mm -hmm. makes, makes them better and makes the whole experience better. I love that. Yeah. And I, as you were talking about that too, and I was just thinking like, there are also a lot of available um, solutions that you can purchase to fill that gap. Like I think Zendesk is one of the very popular um, option to provide like a help desk or, you know, um, help center type documentation. Um, so definitely if that's not something that you have like a whole team to take care of that, like Netflix does or Hulu, whoever, um, look into one of those existing solutions that you can purchase and that will help you to reduce a lot of other costs that come later down the road, like 
again, customer service cost too. So the end. And that is all 10 of them, 10 heuristics for user interface design. Again, like we said, some of them applies to physical product and how you design your roads in the city and also (laughs) (laughs) a social situation. (laughs) But yeah, that is it. Anything you want to add? No, I think that's good. Sweet. I'm like melting in this room, but any any product shout out or any product complaints this week? I feel like I gave a lot of complaints this episode. <laughs> a lot of love for Netflix, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of love for Netflix. Um, all, some love for Audible, some complaints for Audible. <laughs> I'll, I'll give, yeah, one, one shout out I'll give is uh, for... A feature that both Facebook and Twitter have implemented, probably other places have implemented it as well, is the mute feature. Uh, just what? so so useful, so good, especially as we're coming up on as we're in the middle of a you know a, a political season. I've just found it to be uh, an absolute amazing <laughs> feature, as I've been able to mute uh, so many things. So. It's, I just love it. So being able to, yeah, on Facebook, just choose people and mute them. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so you can mute for like 30 days or whatever it is. So you don't have oh, to see like so... posts from certain people. Wait, really? Oh yeah. Yeah. You can choose how long? Um, I don't think you can wow. choose how long, but you can just, you know, oh. choose like mute for 30 days. So you don't see anything from them or about certain topics for 30 days. And same on Twitter. Like if you want to just mute certain keywords or certain things. You can choose what? like the length on Twitter. So if it's like you want to mute for a certain amount of time or just forever, if you never want to hear about wow. a certain thing again on Twitter, you can yes. mute it forever. So shout out to the mute features that they have implemented wow. on some of those networks. They have been, they're very, very useful, especially right now when the, I think the amount of content just gets escalated yeah. and I'm not opposed to some discussion i i enjoy you know some political discussion i think discussing it and obviously like all of it is important but you know in order to stay just in contact with some people i just have to mute them so i'm not going to ask you who you muted but do you want to put out a warning it's like people on twitter do not add kyle to start those (laughs) discussion out in public in the twitter world yeah because you said you welcome discussion. Uh, and, and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> you know, good, good civil, dis- like actual discussion, but not, yeah, not just like the debate and some, yeah, some of it, I just, I see it, especially with like pandemic stuff and people just go on like their tirades and <laughs> with, with different things. And I'm like, Nope, we're, we're done. I, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. So they're yes. Facebook is such a weird space because it's like you can unfriend people, but then it's it's hard because what if it's your very close relative or close friends and you're just like, wait, what are you saying now? I didn't know this is your thing. <laughs> and then yeah. I need time to process that. And I think the <laughs> muting feature is much needed, um, yeah. like you said, during yep. this time and this year. And I haven't gone on Facebook. I mean, I use their marketplace to kind of buy some stuff. I know I have never bought anything in there, but selling stuff that I don't use anymore, but very interesting. I didn't know that you get the mute button. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not terribly active 
I, I think it's relatively new. Yeah, I haven't been terribly active, like, socially, uh, just on and off and getting more active. But yeah, we use it. We, we've been using it a lot more frequently, like, some of the marketplace <laughs> stuff. So, which is which is really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting on there. It's it's definitely more a much more tolerable place to be <laughs> when you can mute and and just not have that sort of stuff. So it has become like the internet nuclear wasteland. It's like the Chernobyl of the internet. Yeah, Facebook. yeah, Facebook. <laughs> but then I mean, glutton for punishment. If you're on Twitter, it's just you know, uh, Twitter is better. I, I, I think Twitter I, is a little better. I, I love Twitter, but you've got to be a certain kind of crazy to enjoy getting on Twitter. So. <laughs> Well, at least the people that you see on Twitter, they're all strangers. It's not as like damaging <laughs> <laughs> like versus all Facebook people. It's like people you probably know in real life yeah. and, you know, whatever capacity. And then you're, I, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like Facebook is just like a personal broadcasting system that you have. It's kind of like an intercom in a big house, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't see you that often because you're on the other end of the house, but you're broadcasting this crazy thought that I don't need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That is Facebook yep. for you. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's Facebook true. was a great thing 10 years ago. <laughs> it was. There's, yeah. There's still probably good things about it. I, there definitely are still good things about it, but it's, yeah, it has its, its kind of place in the social platforms. And then I think obviously Twitter is a completely different place in the social platforms, which I, I personally find much I like it a lot more. I think that's where I enjoy spending more time. But again, you have to be a certain kind of crazy to, <laughs> as I think Just anybody who spends that. time on there, yeah, like you, I think we all acknowledge it. Anybody who's on Twitter, like you, you know that, so... Yeah, I just feel like Twitter still feels a lot less... Uh, okay, to me, Twitter is kind of hiding in plain sight where you're walking in a city with a ton of people also in that same space with you, but you're not obligated to interact with them yeah. if you don't want to versus Facebook. It's like constantly, like I said, a family reunion or whatever, yeah. uh, in, in a giant house and, uh, they can open your door anytime and come in and leave whatever message. I hate it. See, Twitter is much less personal Yeah, and you can get personal. I know people can. that have met on Twitter and got married actually. Yeah. yeah. You can get personal. Yep. Not, and can, can be more, curated and more yeah probably just more finely tuned because of all of that so yep yep anyways i love twitter yeah all right i feel like this episode is filled with so much love and so much hate yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's this it for is me it. yeah any from you uh i feel like i gave a lot of shout out for netflix except for the spirited away miss but yeah. I want Studio Ghibli on Netflix. That is my message for today. But yeah, Studio Ghibli needs to be on Netflix. The end. Okay. Well, do they need to be on Netflix? I don't think they need to be, but would be a lot more accessible. And a lot of people need to hear the gospel of Studio Ghibli and please watch Spirited Away. Nice. That's that's a personal message to you, Kyle. I okay. think it's a very, very lovely, lovely title. Okay spirited away yes and that's a great wrap up because we're also going to spirited away out of this podcast yeah. recording session <laughs> thanks for listening 
the Thank end. Yeah, thanks. And goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time. <laughs>